0: And it was great to have Johnny back with us this week, wasn't it? Come on, See, I told you I wasn't the only one that missed you. A lot of people have missed you. So. <clears throat> Reach in and silence that bad boy. It's one of your tests of faith, by the way. If your phone goes off in church, that's not necessarily biblical, but I just thought I'd bring it up. Um, this is a... For a Christmas season, this was gonna be kind of a, a sober, serious message. And I'd like to lighten it up for you, but I have no choice because the passage is pretty clear what the topic is about. It's about fear, faith, and courage. Have you, uh, have you ever heard someone say, or someone described as fearless? Oh, He's fearless or she's fearless. Well, I'm here to tell you that that person really actually doesn't exist. It's a myth, it's a fraud. The fact is, from our very first breath until our last, fear, big or small, is a relentless part of your everyday life on earth that never goes away. See what I mean? I told you it wasn't silent. Have you ever been afraid to ask someone a question? Scared you might not get the answer you like? Have you ever experienced what I guess it's not even young people calling it anymore? Now everybody calls it FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. (laughs) Afraid that if you don't make the right choices, your life won't be fulfilling. It won't be exciting. It won't be pleasurable enough. It won't be meaningful. Can you relate to that fear? Do you know what it's like to be afraid of failure? Failing yourself or worse, afraid of failing someone you love or care about? Have you ever seen a certain number flash on your caller ID? Fearful, it's likely to be heartbreaking news. Have you ever experienced the fear of a real life or death decision? What about fear of what happens after you die? Have you ever wondered if you had to choose, if you were forced in your life, in this day and age, to choose between Jesus and death, have you ever wondered if your faith would actually stand that kind of test? I mean, if you are a follower of Jesus, I can answer, you have asked yourself that question. And this is a heavy topic, I know. But this is exactly where James's passage today takes us so because of that, we don't shy away from it. We have to go there. We have one verse today. This teaching area, this pericope that I've taught you about, this teaching area is only one verse today. It's James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has prepared to those who love him. This verse, in fact, stands alone in the book of James in chapter one. It stands by itself. You know, by the way, can you hear how this sounds like one of the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, you know who else would recognize that? James's first century Christian Jewish readers, as they read this in community, would recognize, oh, this sounds like a Beatitude. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12 is what this is based on. Look at this. Um, Go ahead and go forward. There you go. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see the similarity? Blessed are you you when others revile you or persecute you or utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Do you see how they're connected? This is relevant because first century Jewish Christians found themselves in a very difficult spot as they lived within the Roman Empire. These first century followers of Jesus woke up every day to paralyzing, real, in-your-face fear. They were caught between persecution from three different powerful sources. Jewish religious zealots, Roman rulers, and Gentile pagan citizens of Rome. First of all, I want you to see how they were persecuted by Jewish authorities. By this time, Jewish leadership, particularly the Sadducees, sought a delicate peace with big government Rome and all their authorities. They were willing to do, the Sadducees, almost anything to maintain the status quo and avoid scrutiny or any religious persecution from Roman government. This led to all sorts of compromises by the Sadducees. Political compromises, social compromises, economic compromises, theological compromises. Even how they worshipped was compromised. They were willing, many of them, to worship Caesar before their own God just so they would not be persecuted. Rome considered Christians a sect within Judaism. They didn't understand, Romans, that Jesus was different than what the Jews were worshiping. So they couldn't see it. They couldn't make the distinction. So most Jews actually resented Christians, fearing that the radical teachings of Jesus would invite unwanted political persecution for all Jews. In fact, John, in the book of Revelation, calls out those compromising Jews for their cowardice. Look at Revelation chapter two, nine, and we're gonna go back to this verse later. I know your tribulation, he's talking to Christians persecuted first-century Christians. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. By the way, do you see that? Yes, there is something significant there. It is definitely a tie to James. More on that later. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not. But they are a synagogue of Satan. So John addressed these Jewish leaders who persecuted Christians faithful followers of Jesus were stubborn, refusing to compromise the teachings of Jesus along with Jewish leadership. This made Jewish leaders into enemies of the first century church, leading to brutal persecution of Christians by Jews. In fact, Stephen, the first martyr, and James himself were killed by Jewish leaders for their public stand for the gospel. So not only were they persecuted by Jewish leaders, they were also persecuted by Rome. We learned in Revelation, and when we studied that, that everyone in the empire was required to worship Caesar before their own faith. Faithful followers of Jesus refused to participate in this imperial cult. In fact, in Revelation, John celebrated those churches who were faithful refusing to worship Caesar. Caesar. Christians were locked out of commerce. And remember, that was the whole mark of the beast we learned about in Revelation. They weren't able to buy, sell, or trade because they didn't get their certificate for worshiping Caesar. Many of them were imprisoned, brutally beaten, even executed for not worshiping Caesar. So we also see, so they're persecuted by Jewish leaders, persecuted by Roman government, and they're also persecuted by pagans. As Jewish Christians fled, The persecution they faced in Jerusalem spreading throughout Rome only to find persecution on a new front. Immoral pagan worship, immorality you can't even imagine, was a huge part of the culture in cities like Corinth and Ephesus, debauchery you can't imagine. Every group, whether it was trade guilds, temples, social clubs, every group promoted drug-induced drug-induced orgy worship of their own gods the culture demanded that you participate in these groups without judging them or be ostracized in the community you think you have cancel culture today this is nothing Faithful Christians refused to compromise, and now they faced more brutal persecution from these pagan groups. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, when Paul was preaching the gospel and people came to Christ, they stopped buying certain things from the silversmith guild, and there was a riot because of it. With hostility on all sides, staying faithful to Jesus became treacherous for them. Their family, their friends, their business partners... Christians were forced to meet secretly in small, off-the-radar house churches, just like the faithful Christians in China are today. At any moment, they could be targeted with brutality. You see, being faithful to Jesus demanded courage, vigilance, and wisdom. So that's the history of our passage, why James 1.12 would relate. Look at the theology. I want you to see these are beatitudes for the faithful. So... This is why James is constantly pointing his readers back to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 as a test of their ropes of faith. Verse 12 is also written, as you see, as a Beatitude. It's a preview of James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, about patiently faith in the turn of our Jesus. So, Beatitudes were a very common Jewish tool in wisdom literature, like Proverbs to provide memorable sayings for conventional wisdom. Memorable ways to remember conventional wisdom. And it was constructed with, blessed are those who do this, or blessed are those who are part of this group. The second half declares an easy-to-remember qualifier, a habit or behavior. But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, took Beatitudes and turn them on their head, and use them in a radical, new, shocking way. His Beatitudes, as we learned last week, are filled with irony. That's an unexpected result. And his irony attacked the conventional wisdom. Jesus used his Beatitudes to call his followers to a radical, different way of living that was totally different from the world around them. And James writes verse 12 as a beatitude linked exactly directly to Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12 about enduring persecution that comes from following Jesus. And this blessing that James promises, blessed are those who endure, right? He says, you receive the crown of life. That would resonate deeply with followers of Jesus who are facing brutal persecution on all sides. It's an assurance that their suffering is not in vain. It's worth it. Even if you are killed for it, fear not. If you endure, you will receive the crown of life. What is this crown of life? It sounds important, right? Like something we should probably definitely know about or be interested in. Did you know the crown of life, this is beautiful. You ready for some serious like Bible geek warning here? The next eight minutes, we're gonna geek out, okay? Crown of life only occurs in two places in Scripture. Here in James and in the book of Revelation. So it deserves special attention, don't you think? This is crucial. Okay, before I show it to you, remember, James was the earliest circulated New Testament epistle written, and Revelation is the last New Testament epistle written. All right, you ready? Revelation chapter 2, 9 to 11, look at this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Okay. What was the passage right before this one in James about? The poor rejoice when they are exalted. The rich rejoice when they're humiliated. You know what John is saying? Oh, this is definitely like a a mad respect callback to James, the brother of Jesus. You are the poor exalted. You are rich. I know your poverty, but you are rich. Do you see this? Undeniable connection to James. And you know why? Watch. Watch. And the slander of those who say you are Jews, those who say they are Jews but are of a synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you what. This is a direct connection to James one, undeniable. He makes two clear connections. I know your poverty, the poor, but you are rich. You are exalted, and you receive the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. All right, you see it, right? You see both connections to James 1. You are rich. The passage is right before James 1.12. The poor and the rich. It's evidence of how beloved James, the brother of Jesus, was in the early church. Even the apostles cherished his wisdom. This is clear, intentional, obvious, undeniable connection between the Sermon on the Mount, James, and Revelation, and it creates for you right now crucial theology to understand James chapter 1, verse 12. But James's letter was cherished by early Christians, but the good news for us is we've been blessed, right? Because what was the point of Revelation? Blessed are those who read it. We've been blessed because Revelation reveals an even bigger picture. Alright, a woe. Go to the next one. Whoa. John's link, by the way, isn't done. There's another clue in that passage I just read to you in Revelation 2, 9 through 11 that has its own rare term. It's the opposite of the crown of life. It is the second death. So John adds a blessing. He takes James's beatitude and adds another blessing. He says, Not only will you receive the crown of life, you will not face the second death. This is another breadcrumb. You know where it leads? The phrase second death, you know, only occurs three times in Scripture in Revelation 2, along with the crown of life, right? And then Revelation 20, 14, and then Revelation chapter 21. Those are the only places. So clearly, this is a breadcrumb that John leaves. He says, you will not be hurt of the second death. You will receive the crown of life. And then, 19 chapters later, oh, by the way, remember that second death? So clearly, chapter 20 and 21 are connected to chapter 2 and James 1 and Matthew 5. Revelation 21 and 7 and 8. Look what he says about the second death. The one who overcomes will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. There's another beatitude but the cowardly i put that word in bold and italics because it's harsh isn't it nobody likes to be called a coward like you're never in a movie who you call a coward right and they get in a big fight every time right but the cowardly the faithless the detestable the murderers the sexually immoral the sorcerers the idolaters all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is what the second death John writes his own beatitude about the faithful linked to the Sermon on the Mount and James, but now John adds something else. He adds the opposite of a beatitude or a blessing. It is called, do you see it? It's called a woe. It's another often used Jewish literary device in wisdom literature. So you have a beatitude, the opposite is a woe. Woe to those. Blessed are those, woe to those. You see that, right? It's the opposite. It's a warning of judgment for disobedience. Or unfaithfulness. Old Testament prophets use them all the time to warn God's people. You know, hear people talk about, you know, hellfire and, and damnation. That's the woes. Those who endure persecution will receive a crown of life. Those who are too cowardly to persevere will face the second death. I'm not making that up. That's there. You see that. And it's harsh language. It's not my language. And just in case you don't know what spiritual cowardice looks like, here's a list of all the behaviors of the spiritually cowardly. You're faithless, detestable to God, embracing sexual immorality, murderous, and that's a connection to the Sermon on the Mount. He who hates his brother has committed murder already. That's the connection. doesn't mean like, oh, well, I'm not a murderer, so I can't be a coward. No, if you hate your brother, you're murderous. Sorcerers, that's a metaphor for the world's wisdom. Idolaters, a metaphor for loving earthly riches more than heavenly ones. And liars, you embrace spiritual lies. Jesus is not the way, he's a way. That's a spiritual lie. So that's what cowardice looks like spiritually. All the things John describes. Cowards don't have faith. They don't love God. They love the world they'll receive the second death that's James's or John's woe church family this is all beautifully connected right from math from Matthew 5 to James 1 to Revelation 2 to Revelation 20 and Revelation 21 it's all connected and makes this truth extremely urgent and relevant for all of us right now right here today all right personal section <clears throat> There's going to be some hard stuff here. This is the sermon preview this week. Real faith will be fearless in its loyalty to Jesus and his church. I should have changed that word fearless to courageous. No matter what evil threatens or the world offers in exchange. All right, I'm keeping this picture up here. Just during this time, I want you to remember what this is all about, testing our ropes of faith. All of this, right? The Sermon on the Mount, the Crown of Life, the woe in Revelation with the second death, all of it provides a powerful test of your ropes of faith this morning. This beautiful theological structure that we just unfolded for you creates a clear divide between the spiritually courageous and the spiritual cowards. It draws a line this morning between the crown of life and the second death. And it could not be more clear, more vivid, or more pivotal. I know for some, this truth can be offensive. Some might shy away from it. Well, isn't that exactly the point, though? We can't shy away from proclaiming this truth. We can't shy away from embracing it. That's a compromise that the cowardly that John warns about would make. There's no in-between. Either you are part of the beatitude for the faithful and the crown of life, or the woe of the unfaithful cowards reserved for the second death. There's no purgatory. That's a false doctrine. There's no second chance after this life. It's either the crown of life or the second death, one or the other. We must be courageous with this truth that says that the world is in desperate need of grace that comes only at the foot of the cross. Being afraid, by by the way, can I just say, being afraid is not what makes you a coward. You understand that? All of us are afraid. But perfect love, John says this, perfect love casts out fear. And fear isn't just being afraid of suffering and persecution. You don't have to wait for that to test your ropes of faith. It's also fear of missing out on what the world might offer you. Cowardice is when your loyalty to Jesus isn't worth the security, money, pleasure, and comfort that the world offers you instead. The unfaithful will be spiritual cowards as fear drives them with constantly being tempted to choose all these things over the promise of the crown of life. And the consequences of that kind of disloyal, unreliable, cowardly faith are eternal, and they are serious. It's the second death. Wouldn't it be great to have some warning signs that your ropes of faith might not be courageous? Wouldn't it be great? Well, I have a list. Are you concerned that loyalty to Jesus is too risky because of how you might suffer? Well, you may be in danger of the second death. Do you consistently, easily rationalize your disobedience to Jesus' commands? Well, you might be in danger of second death. Do you constantly neglect gathering together with His people for any small reason because it's not convenient? Is it easy to say no to gathering? You might be in danger of second death. Do you feel loyalty to Jesus is too costly professionally, culturally, financially? Well, you might be in danger of second death. Are you more interested in pursuing your own sexual appetites rather than following the commands of Jesus? Well, you might be in danger of the second death. Are you always angry? Afraid God won't carry out justice quick enough, so you must do it? You might be in danger of the second death. Are you easily swayed by earthly wisdom in place of the wisdom that Jesus offers? Well, you might be in danger of the second death. Does following Jesus and his commands give you fear of missing out on the pleasures of this world? You might be in danger of the second death. You see, there are many ways that spiritual cowardice can manifest itself ahead of time. Do you see that? There are many ways that spiritual cowardice can expose unreliable ropes of faith, not just fear when you're persecuted. All right, do you remember this in our study of Joshua? Remember this command? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Talk about somebody that was afraid, that needed courage. Joshua was a case study, right? Did you know that you can be courageous even in fear? Joshua was. I mean, isn't that the whole point? Courage is born in fear. It doesn't take courage when you're not afraid. Courage is to be joyfully accepted and celebrated because you have fear first. Real faith keeps you courageous, enables you to love Jesus no matter what the world threatens or offers. It's what John said in Revelation, to those who love Jesus. James and Jesus and John are teaching us that the ropes of real faith will keep you strong, courageous, and loyal to the end. Wouldn't it be great to know if your faith will keep you loyal and courageous no matter what life brings? Wouldn't it be great? Well, I have a list. (laughs) When evil attacks your ropes, when the wind is howling on the cliff, but you're not afraid, the gospel will fail you, you'll receive the crown of life. Even when you are really scared, even when you slip and fall on your own, make your own mistakes, and you know your ropes of faith will hold you anyway, you'll receive the crown of life. Even when the world mocks your ropes and tries to belittle them, those ropes suck. You'll hold on to them tight you'll receive the crown of life. If you have courage to choose Jesus over anything the world might offer in exchange, guess what? you receive the crown of life. If you have courage to hold tight of your ropes instead of other ropes the world say are better, you'll receive the crown of life. If you have courage to proclaim that Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only ropes you can really trust, you'll receive the crown of life. If you have courage to love Jesus enough to keep his commandments, regardless of what they might cost, you will receive the crown of life. If you have courage to be ride or die, like Reuben and the other one in half Manasseh, I can't even remember anymore, see? If you have courage to be ride or die with your church family, especially when they are suffering, you receive the crown of life. If you trust even when you fail. do you hear me? If you trust even when you fail, that God's grace will keep you secure, that faith is real and it's a gift. You too receive the crown of life. Church family, fear is part of life on earth. Don't run from it. Embrace it, because that's when perfect faith is tested and shows that it is reliable. And as we'll learn next week in our next passage, when God gives us the perfect gift of faith, it always endures. Its ropes will hold you no matter what, and you will receive the crown of life. Real faith will face fear and be strong and courageous, just like Joshua And that faith ensures you this precious beatitude that that Jesus wrote, that James rewrote, and John rewrote. That will assure you this beatitude belongs to you, dear Christian. I promise you this. Your faith will endure. No matter what the world brings your way, you will be courageous, you will receive the crown of life, and you will not be hurt by the woe the second death Jesus we confess to you that there are a lot of things that make us afraid big things little things <clears throat> there's a lot of reason to be afraid of things things going on in the world things going on in our own lives the frailty of the human body the depravity of the human spirit on display throughout the entire earth We think of forces of darkness and evil that are undeniably present. A lot of things to fear. But Lord, somehow, by supernatural grace, you give us this gift of faith, this perfect gift, coming down from the Father of lights that will persevere. It will keep us courageous. It will keep us faithful. It will keep us loyal. And because of your work, because you gave us the gift of faith, This beatitude is ours, and we are grateful that we will receive the crown of life. For those that are here today, Lord, and maybe they're afraid that they might be in danger of the second death, Lord, that fear alone is the beginning of wisdom, your scripture says. It's the beginning of knowledge and understanding. And that means you are calling them out of darkness, out of fear, into light, into courage. Lord, I pray that you would finish that calling and bring them to the foot of the cross with us so that they too can be a member of that Beatitude Club and receive the crown of life. And We ask for all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus.